This organization will succeed for them and for everyone who believes in it. That's just a huge burden for me. I think that's a huge mm. difference. I could maybe suck at my job, not that I can donate it, but I could suck at my job and just maybe get a warning. Yeah. I don't have the luxury of suck of sucking at Masuri Organics because then it collapses. You can't suck as an entrepreneur. No, there's 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 very you literally walking on thin ice, right? You mm. you step a bit too there's hard no and then you are. Yeah. There's no room to fail. Yeah. From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. Don't you think that influences the thinking at your yeah. where people go, why is he wearing a like he's yeah. wearing a shirt and yeah. tie? Yeah. Yeah, but it also gives you a view of what he thinks of you, right? He takes you seriously. Yeah, and he's just like, no, I need to be sure. Like, interview <laughs> money. Let me put on my best shirt. I love it. I love. Lo- there was this guy who I, there's something about working with students that I find absolutely refreshing, mm. and it started to make me feel like I'm an old person when I say this. But there was this guy that I was working with. The time when I reached out, I was looking for an, um, a guy to do the website thing, the change. Yeah. Um, I found this guy um, who called me Miss Liz. Oh yeah. And I thought it was This kid calls me Mr. Mash. I'm oh. like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mash? No. I mean Mr. And he was like, hi, Miss Liz. But I thought it was so sweet. And I was like, I feel guilty for finding this so sweet. I don't think um, millennials are making peace with their role evolving in the world to become the adults. Yeah. I don't think no, no, we, no. we're me, dealing with me, that Me, I'm well. like, which adults? Where are the adults in the world? And I'm like, damn, I'm 30. It's, it's actually scary. Like, when you think, damn, I'm 30. Um, Do you prescribe to the thinking around, uh, you should have done this by 30, you should have nah. done this by 30? Nah. When did you when did you actually get to a point where it didn't affect you? So it never it age never affected me at all until twenty nine, mm. and it didn't affect me from um, from an achievement perspective. It just affected me like I, I was never aware of age. Like it, it, you might even ask me how old are you, and I I, I don't know how old I am. Mm. Now I'm like yo yeah no man. It feels like you're older. Mm. But it's not from an achievement perspective because who we know I've 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 seen a lot. I'm not trying to put yeah. you one more. <laughs> Do you you know you're one of those people that I look at? I'm like you are deeply authentic to who you are, even um, in the most difficult times. Like you, I can tell when you're not okay on Twitter. Everyone can. Okay, <laughs> but like yeah. I look at that, I'm like that's deeply authentic. Like this person is yeah. genuinely going, hey world i'm not okay i need you to see that i'm not okay so that you can adjust how you deal or approach with like me i i i wouldn't even honestly want to take credit for that i Mm. think it's more of a um it's probably more of a an inability 
to censor and filter. Mm. And from time to time, I've had like friends go, you know, maybe you don't want to reveal so much because, you know, some people are happy when they see you going through it. Yeah. And, you know, if there's um, someone who's trying to maybe put you down or something, it gives them the signal that, oh, it is time, go striking. Mm. I just don't have the ability, honestly, to... When I'm going through it, you'll know, you'll see the way I walk. I walk mm. like I'm going through it, the way I talk, the things mm. I think about. I, I just don't know how to censor it. And it's something I think it's it's a good thing, but it's also something I hope I'd be able to manage a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we should probably do an intro, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just to start the podcast. Um, please give a brief, just like, um, you know, I hate this question. Yeah. Like, who are you? Who am I? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Really? Yeah, okay, yeah. let's go. Then. My name is Liz. My first name is Malahola. Um, each time I'm asked this question, home is where I start. Mm. Um, the youngest of five kids at home, born and bred in Zanin, Limpopo. Um, I love my family. I'm from a very big family um, mm. with very strong personalities. It's always loud when we're together, talking, huge energy. Um, you know, so I came to... I came to um, Pretoria when I was um, probably, uh, what, 16, 16, 17 years of age for varsity. Mm. But at any, each stage of my life, I've had to relocate. Grown mm. in Zanin, I um, did my primary schooling there. Um, went to boarding school since the age of 11 mm. in Bulugwane. Um, then moved to Pretoria when I was 16 um, for varsity. Then my first job moved to Durban. And then for oh, my yeah. second job... Johannesburg, you know, so I've always been moving around. Um, I'm a love of people. I'm a ball of emotion. What do you, what do you think, um, like, you know, there's there's a deep sense of hustle from people that are from Limpopo that come to Joburg. Yeah. And there's a deep sense of, like, understanding and appreciation about what that means in some level. And, like, <clears throat> I'm not, you know, this is not to berate any other culture or anything like that, but, like, there's a deep hustle. Yeah. Like a deep, deep, like, no, there's some, I'm here to do work. Yeah. I'm here to work and then I go back home. <laughs> when you leave home, there's a very common phrase where your parents, when they tell you how to behave in the city, but how cross a petrol pot, don't forget who you are. Mm. Um, I think there's a sense of clarity about the fact that we are here to dig gold. Mm. Um, we're here in the city to succeed and to try and, and hustle our way into the city and actually go back home and provide for those we've left behind. Mm. The one thing I notice a lot about Limpopo people, and I mention Limpopo people because those are the only people I know that intimately. Mm. Um, the one thing I've noticed about them is, mm. um, you know, in December, right? Each time we hustle, we always hustle with the thinking or the memory of home. And mm. I think there's something about knowing that you're hustling for something bigger than just yourself and hustling for something bigger than just, you know, making it in the city that just makes you relentless in how you dig the gold. Yeah. Yeah. It's so insane. Like, the, and that's like a generational thing, right? Like, you think of like parents and parents' parents yeah. who literally, you know, because of literally the way South Africa was, you know, yeah. um, governed and the you know, apartheid laws that were in place, yeah. people came from rural areas to come here mainly just to do a job and go back and then yeah. build from there. And you know what's insane? 
But while in Popo, they will live in modest homes in the city. Mm. Have you been? Oh, I've seen. Till in Popo. <laughs> I've seen. And you are driving. <laughs> and what you want, i double story. Not right, no. <laughs> people in Limpopo have so much respect and so much love for home. Mm. They literally invest everything. So everything they're working for is literally channeled to home. And that's, again, it's something I hugely respect and appreciate. Mm. And from time to time, my mom will ask me, Everyone, all my siblings have, I'm the only one left. Now they're looking at me, when you're ready to start the whole day. You know, you spoke about like um, going to different jobs and like going into corporate. Um, with home as a base for your hustle, how um, differently did, you know, not just going to Gauteng or, you know, KZN, but like, how did going into corporate affect the way you thought about the work that you're doing and why you're doing it? It was, it felt so hugely difficult. Um, corporate for me was not um, a um, natural experience. Mm. You know, when you're going through something, you're like, I don't know what it is, but something feels hugely unnatural about this. Mm. My first job was absolutely incredible. Um, I loved it because we had, you know, when you're part of these graduate programs, it was in the FMCG sector. The company culture was fairly, um, you know, amazing. Um, people were lovely people. Um, the performance culture was there, but it wasn't overly indexed such that you felt like you had to sell your soul. Mm. And because I had a cohort of graduates who came into this program with me, you never felt like you were alone at any given point. So that was really nice. Um, but there was something about then maturing into your role and everyone starting to become their own individual in their roles that felt a bit lonely and that felt a bit unnatural to me. So that's when I started having some sort of crisis. Mm. And what I then used to do was each time that crisis became unbearable, I changed jobs. Mm. Um, I knew that it wasn't, um, I knew that the changing of jobs was just a remedy, um, a temporary remedy, but I didn't have the courage to do something fundamentally different because I just didn't have the tools and I didn't know what to do. Um, and again, the fact that I had the anchor of home, um, for me, it wasn't enough to make me feel like I can bear this burden um, a bit better. Mm. And I think the reason for that was because maybe I didn't have um, what most people call black tax. Mm. And because I didn't have that, I didn't feel the pressure of, oh, my family relies on me to provide. Mm. So because I'm not a provider for anyone, I just need to make sure that I can sort myself out. And if I'm fine, then no one has to worry about you know me or no one has to worry about being taken care of. That made it incredibly more ungraceful i guess for me to bear because i was like i, I don't have to do this mm. yeah and like how do you then you know shape a journey out of corporate into building your own business like what yeah. did that look like yeah, that was that that's one of the biggest gifts that i am so grateful to corporate today so i've worked for three multinationals one fmcg company and two consulting firms all of them global I cannot tell you how incredibly easier they these three entities have made it for me to be able to grasp what an organization looks like. Mm. Take away product, take away business and everything. I know um, the pieces or the building blocks of an organization. Mm. If we're talking FMCG, I understand supply chain. I'll tell you about sales and marketing. I know what strategy is. I know what ops is. And I think I don't know how... Um, easier Masuri Organics would have been for me had I not gone through that journey. There's a lot of things that sometimes I'll go to seminars or that I'll go to discussions with entrepreneurs and I hear, you know, being as stumbling blocks for most people. And as much as I do have stumbling blocks myself, some of those I'm able to recognize that mm, I see why this is not an issue for me because I've been through the process in a larger entity. I always think that South Africa um, 
intrapreneurship is underdocumented and like underappreciated as well. Like the entrepreneurial spirit of corporates, I think in South Africa is something that like should be studied. Someone should be actually providing some sort of like thinking around like, hey, you know, we might have a very, you know, difficult entrepreneurship ecosystem, but like what's actually happening within organizations that's shifting innovation, creativity, and culture that actually matters as well. Yeah. Like, have you found that experience to be true? That there's, you know, a lot of people that could be building incredible things, but they're in organizations and doing it that way rather than starting off something of their own. Yeah, I've seen it both ways. Um, being done incredibly well and being done quite terribly, in my opinion. Um, when I think of um, the first um, organization that I was part of, it did that incredibly well because the culture was quite um, unilateral. Um, you know, people had a sense of security. People had a sense of, um, I don't know, man, calmness about why they were there. And it was one of those organizations that had very clear values. You know, when the when the employees even articulate the values in like casual conversations mm. because of that um it was easy for everyone to feel like this is a, there's a part there's a sense of ownership i have in this big organization that was done really well you see people having autonomy you see people um you know create small innovations like maybe coming up with a new product um someone just has an idea and say i have this an idea for um a product before you know it people are moving um you know supply chain is on it marketing and sales is on it forecasting numbers and stuff that was brilliant and i've seen a terrible side of it um in one of the organizations that i was part of um later on which was due to bureaucracy everything there had to go through some sort of paperwork mm. i'm not kidding you when i say on my first day um of going there um I had to get um, stationery and notepads and stuff, you know. And I had to ask my manager for permission to sign a form to actually give me um, permission to get a pen and to get, um, you know, just things that actually enable me to um, do my job, to get printing rights. I had to get permission, mm. which was just so absurd, but it was... Um, it, it, it signified a bigger issue, in my opinion, of how restrictive that environment was for innovation and just for autonomy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, like... and. You know, what have you found to be so vastly different about starting your own organization and like building from the base that you have in corporate experience and like what you want to do in the future? What felt different was the level of vulnerability and nakedness that um, having your name on an entire organization um, um, brings to you. Um, you know, I've been part of an organization, for example, that was involved in some sort of um, um, scandal. And I, I, I didn't suffer or I didn't feel that that was a reflection of my personhood. I didn't have mm. an issue with, you know, I understood that as much as I'm, you know, the fact that I'm part, I felt guilty about being a participant of such an organization, but I knew that it wasn't a personal reflection on me or my action. Mm. Um, the thing with then starting your own organization is that everything that happens you take as a reflection of you. Mm. Um, and that just makes me for someone who who is so emotionally vulnerable and so emotionally exposed. Um, it makes me feel just so not in control, which is not a good feeling at all. Mm. But also it gives you the the sense of anxiousness that comes with knowing that, you know, the moment you start recruiting people and bring them on board, you have a responsibility to make sure that they feel good about coming to work, that they are well developed, that they are well taken care of and that... Mm. 
this organization will succeed for them and for everyone who believes in it. That's just a huge burden for me. I think that's a huge mm. difference. I could maybe suck at my job, not that I condone it, but I could suck at my job and just maybe get a warning. Yeah. I don't have the luxury of suck of sucking at Masuri Organics because then it collapses. You can't suck as an entrepreneur. No, there's 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 very you're literally walking on thin ice, right? You mm. you step a bit too there's hard no and then you are out. Yeah. There's no room to fail. Yeah. But what would you say is one piece of advice that you wish you got before you started your business? Oh, one piece of advice. Um, let's see. I would say that um mm, Yeah, there's a lot of things that's just coming to my mind, but I I, know. <laughs> I, 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 I would I would actually say focus. Mm. Um, so I'm a very excitable person. Mm. Um, and because I work in emotion, when I have an idea right now, I'm like, oh, I know, I know, I'm going to do it, right? Mm. I would say focus. And um, in um, Brene Brown's words, build slow and deep. Mm. Building slow and deep gives you the courage to understand that the slow days, the quiet days, the non-celebratory days matter. And um, something important and significant is brewing. Um be okay with the quiet days. Be okay with the, you know, the times when maybe sales are low. It's mm. okay because you, you're still doing slow work, right? Mm. Um, not everything has to blow up or not everything has to, um, you know, be con- be celebrated. You don't have to always be congratulated. Put your head down, build and be clear about um, why you're doing certain things. And and perhaps, um, you know, share a bit less. <laughs> share a That's bit so less. true. That's so true. Yeah. Do you believe in building in public? I do. I do precisely because I believe that Masuri Organics has primarily been built in public. Um, mm. And for two reasons. One is um, I did not know of another creative way of building a brand without leveraging myself as the founder in my story to say, hey, please support me. Right. Mm. Um Retrospectively, if I had another choice, I would do it differently. But I suspect that I still don't have an idea of how I would do it. Therefore, I probably would do it the same way. Mm. Um, but two is um, when you are when you don't have as much resource, you're forced to do certain things certain ways. You know, had I had money maybe to get a good marketing team and to get influencers on board such that Liz Lizuala didn't have to build so publicly, Mm. um, I would have been afforded that opportunity. But I had to bootstrap from the very beginning. And therefore, um, you know, I had to look after my social media. I have to communicate Mm. the value for for my business. I had to manufacture the product in my own um, garage. I had to ship every order. So from beginning to end, um, Masuri Organics was Liz's show and I had no other way of doing that. Mm. Um, I do think there's a part of it that wasn't um, honestly a function of circumstance. There was a part of it that was, you know, an excited little girl who's building a business and just wanted to share the journey. So Mm. I wasn't necessarily forced by circumstances to do that. Um, Call it, you know, the need for attention, if you like. Call it, um, you know, the need to just share your journey with other people, if you like. Mm. Um, And I think that's a part of it that I had control over Mm. that... I chose to just, you know, go with. Um, and now I probably would like to just withhold parts of myself um, selfishly because I've gotten a bit burnt. <laughs> By this, like, building in public. Um, yeah. So just to end off, like, because we want to keep this as short as possible because we have to do an event <laughs> straight after this. Um, what does the future look like? Ah, oh, the future looks so amazing. The future for Liz Lizuala looks um, like two things. One is making Masuri Organics a successful business um, that can be sustainable and that is going to go global um, and be, you know, inclusive, uh, cut across race, cut across, um, you know, um, textures and many other isms that we have. 
Um, the future for um, the beauty industry is hugely customized, I believe. Um, mm. And I want Masuri Organics to be at the forefront of creating custom-made products. Mesh needs to go onto Masuri Organics online store um, and say, you know, this is my skin type. We have all your data. Um, mm. We know Mesh's skin in winter needs these ingredients. In summer, you need we just automatically switch, right? Oh, yeah. And that product is as unique to you as your fingerprint. That's what we want. Um, another thing that we want is to create, um, to be able to be at the forefront of influencing culture and influencing um, beauty trends. If you look at what people do in fashion, there's fashion weeks where people walk on runways and they show you, oh, these are the colors for the next season or these are the trends for the next season. I don't know if I have something similar for hair and I have this idea that I'm currently working on that I would love to execute. Um, Masori Organics needs to say this is the season for cornrows and everyone follows. That would be pretty cool uh, because when you can influence people's trends or beauty trends, you can also influence consumption patterns. Mm. Therefore, you can influence um, um, the amount that people consume. You can also then influence, um, you know, the environmental friendliness of how we choose to consume some things. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing Happy to be here. To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.